Airport voice. Airport voice. Wow, there's no one. <sighs> Damn virus. Let's play the music. Flight 106 to Maui. And welcome to the show where we think about the time where we used to travel in planes. It's a show about nostalgia. And because of nostalgia, I had to invite a special, very special guest. Someone who knows the inside and outs of the new Berlin airport even before it opens. Someone who knows how to get toilet paper stock before they run out of shops. Someone who will surely outlive Alitalia. He's the world's leading authority on bashing cruise ships and centrally unlocking window dims on Dreamliners. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alex Hunter. Wow. Yes. Thank you for having me as a guest on this show. It's good to welcome be back. back. It's good to uh, be back. It's like sitting in a in an old armchair or putting on that, you know, pair of trousers you put on at Thanksgiving to make sure that you can eat enough food. It's it is nice to be back and thank you to everybody that uh reached out and also to those wonderful and very very interesting guests who took part in the conversation while I was gone and of course Mostly, Paul, thanks to you for uh, managing my absence with such grace and elegance that people, uh, you know, didn't even know I was gone. <laughs> I, I knew because I missed you. I missed our banter. So I'm so very happy that, uh, that you are. How are you, buddy? Good? Yeah, good. Really good. Uh, it's a very strange time to be coming back into this conversation, of course, which we yeah. get into a lot. But yeah, <laughs> yes. weird times. So, uh, I did a cop out because I said Maui, because you've been there, but the name of the airport is not actually Maui, but I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't actually know how to pronounce it. I think it's Kahului. <laughs> I think I'm missing a syllable there. Um, I find the Hawaiian language fascinating and completely confounding. So I think it's Kahu. Alui or Kahu Alui, something like yeah. Anyway, our second airport in um, Hawaii. Actually, we did Honolulu, did Honolulu uh, ages ago. I think two years ago. That's the only one I've been to there. I've never been to Ka Maui. I'll just say Maui. Uh, sorry. And, and we'll go to why the very strange IATA code mm -hmm. because I was nice story like, there. Really, Og. I was like, Ogg. I don't know, OGG, original, OG, the OG of the airport. So before we go to the evident, you know, topic of the the month, the weeks, the semester, or even like the year, um, you must be pretty happy that the cruise ships are completely effed. <laughs> I mean, what it's like literally the perfect nah. environment for that type of thing to just take hold and, and infect a bunch of people. I mean, we, we've seen it for years now where, you know, the norovirus would just decimate a ship. But um, yeah. this is more serious. The good thing is it seems like in a weird way, it's been this sort of isolation and incubation lab for people <laughs> to study how it propagates in close quarters. And, and there was one anchored off the coast of California, off San mm -hmm. Francisco for two weeks. While, and they had to yeah. airlift supplies in and everything like that. So it was um, yet another reason not to go on a cruise. The only good thing is if you short the stock of these companies because you made a lot of money. A friend of mine did like a multiplied by five he was shortening some of the stocks and yeah that was a, that was a good uh, uh, i know a lot of countries are actually outrightly banning those cruise ships to dock altogether so yeah but anyway before we go into that virus story lots of change of course since the last time you were with me on this show uh, so i have two news for you uh, one will make you very happy united i know you don't fly united but if you were to fly again united has asked cabin crew to stop controlling the dimming windows of the really? Dreamliner, essentially. They say, 
allow the passengers to do whatever they want. This is cool. I mean, I, I, I understand why they've dimmed them at certain points of a flight on mass, so the whole cabin atmosphere changes, especially when it's supposed to be time to, to sleep. What I get frustrated by is then when they're locked. That's what management is asking to do. Do not lock the system centrally. I wonder if if they're able to restrict the dimness. So if ah. if you say you can, they're unlocked, but they can't be fully open, which I would kind yep. of understand. You know, that would certainly appease people like me, but that's interesting <laughs> that they've had such a volume of feedback that they've made that change. Exactly. Or they just listen to layovers in yeah. New York. Well, that's, rant that's, about that's it. more likely. <laughs> exactly. And and the second news I hinted at it in the intro I did about you is that Berlin seems to be happening, actually happening because Lufthansa has actually scheduled flights on October 31st, which is the opening, apparently the soft opening date for a full opening on November 8th. It's pretty unbelievable. It you is. Still, you, you said yourself that you were not believing it, and I wasn't believing it either. But it seems that it will open. I, I don't know. It's a strange it's, time. It, it is strange times. And it's interesting that it's a third party setting a date for their move in as opposed to the airport authority or anybody on behalf of the airport saying this is going to be the open date. It's it's an airline saying this is when we're going to shift, and it's it's all of their operation, right? It's not a, it's not just a test. It's this is when we're going to start flying out of that airport. And remember when we did both of the airports of Berlin, Tegel and Schönfeld, Lufthansa doesn't fly there. They send Eurowings. I mean, Lufthansa does fly, of course. But I'm wondering now if they will actually have proper operations as Frankfurt and Munich oh, I because see. they don't they don't really so far. So. I, I still cannot believe it. I mean, I I don't know. I just I just can't believe that this is going to happen. And you know, we had that running joke. So who's who's gonna arrive first? Will Italia fail first? It seems that they will never fail. Will the Max arrive first or Berlin arrive? So these two are still in the contention because the Max could arrive before Berlin. I, I don't know. It's really because with the uh, strange times we're living, I don't know. Logic has gone bets. out the window. So there, all bets are <laughs> on or off. It depends on where you where you sit. <laughs> Um, yeah, jeez. <laughs> I want to give a big up to Andrew Curran. He's a writer for a site that we both read uh, quite often called Simple Flying. And uh, he actually uh, quoted us, like uh, mentioned us, which is very nice, exactly on that topic, because we were saying like, uh, who's going to be first, you know, the Max or Berlin. <laughs> and well, he said that we did put our money on the Max coming first. We still have a shot at that. Andrew, I know you're based in uh, northern New South Wales in Australia. Hi, Australia friends. We will maybe have an Australian episode coming up at some point this year. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Andrew, you will have it. Uh, he's favorite airline is uh, Singapore Airlines. You have very good taste. Fair, I was going to say, fair enough. I, I'm just wondering, what's your airport? Because you say northern New South Wales. Brisbane is probably close to you, but that's already Queensland, I believe. So which one is it? Andrew, just reach out to us. And thank you for, for listening. And since I'm on Simple Flying, they also have now a podcast. It's a very cool podcast as well. Everybody's doing podcasts, Alex. We're, we're the OK boomers of podcasts now because <laughs> we're like the OG and like everybody does podcasts. They, it's a very cool. They, I think they started like early Feb. They also have like these kind of 30 minutes once a week type of uh schedule, which is really cool for those who don't want to listen to us mentor for two hours every odd weeks that we, we do we do this. So Simple Flying, you can find it on Apple Podcasts and everywhere. And it's a super cool. Bravo, guys. Congratulations. The more the merrier. Since we're talking about OK Boomer of Avgeek Podcast ourselves, two reviews first on Apple Podcasts, five stars. Thank you. 
the title is Where Has This Been All My Life? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> from BCAS11 from the US. These guys are awesome. The content is always amazing. Well, thank you so much. They really open up the world to people through their travels. I'm, <clears throat> I'm not traveling. And personal experiences. I love their personalities. This podcast is great for any AV geek such as myself or someone who loves travel. Thank you so much. And the second one is from Ruddy in MSP. Ruddy in MSP, uh, I guess, of course, Minneapolis, which we now covered, as you heard, Alex. Great details on Global Airlines. Five stars. Great show. I always enjoy your shows and look forward to the next one. It's interesting to hear where you have been and the airlines you've flown on. Quick question. Obviously, people, I love it that people use <laughs> reviews to ask this question. I'm looking at booking a trip to Rome on American Airlines with miles and seem to be able to get a much better rate if I add a stop in either Madrid on Iberia or London on BA. Would you recommend this? And if so, which city and airline? Well, man, really going to Rome today? Not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that your experience would be quite what you hoped it would be. <laughs> But what would you do for when and if all this uh, stops? Because uh, Italy, for those who don't keep track, Italy is on a full lockdown. So, I mean, I know that Ryanair still flies to Stansted from Rome. But besides that, I think no one flies there. Um, would you, if you were in the US, would you fly direct with AA? Would you prefer Iberia via Madrid? I know our love for Narnia. And... Uh, <laughs> Or we are Ethro with BA. I don't know the Iberia long haul product. In fact, I don't really know the short haul product either. So I don't know. But between the two, I would still go AA in premium and above, but BA in economy. Yeah. And if you really want to do a stop, so meaning if AA is out of the question, BA. I think it's still a better choice in. Because yeah. you would not be changing a terminal yeah, in that... Arithro, you'll be fine. Yeah. I think so. I, I know some people might disagree, but... And it's not a... We don't hate Iberia. I think the, the long-haul product, I've done it because I've done to Madrid, 340, I think. Yeah, it's okay. There's no awkward, like, looking at each other as the BA business product, yeah. for instance, but it's it's okay. But I think BA is still better. So, how's your flu, Alex? Well, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the inevitable... That's all I can do. That's all any of us can do, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so strange, man. Uh, China Eastern has introduced a new coronavirus class. So on top of business class, premium economy, uh, coronavirus. So the last three rows of the starboard side of their aircraft will be reserved for those who show potential signs of sickness. Now, it's not called the coronavirus class. That's me actually making that up. But they, they are actually segregating a bit of the aircraft for people that might have signs of sickness. I don't, I don't know how that works, but yeah. Is it people that develop the symptoms during the flight? Because <laughs> surely you shouldn't be traveling if you already have the symptoms. And maybe an ep epidemiologist would be able to tell us if this is a complete waste of time. It feels like a complete waste of time. Yeah. I said in my very long intro um, in the previous episode, I, I, I'm sorry, guys, it was 30 minutes of me renting, that, um, yeah, you shouldn't be flying if, you, if you're sick. Even James Bond, for crying out loud, he's, he's postponed. My God, I'm like, I'm so unhappy about that. That was, you know, if we were not traveling, at least seeing James Bond in like in a month would have been cool. But no, yeah. we don't even get to get that. Well, you can't uh, go. I mean, people are, you're not supposed to go to the movie theater anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. That's what we're doing right now, Alex and I. We're social distancing. Yeah, we're social, watching yeah, each exactly. other. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think I have a, lot, a less apocalyptic view than this, or more a, there's very little I can do about it. That's very true, however. I think that's that's uh, very true. I mean, being mindful is not being panicky. And I, I see people being panicky, and I think that, I mean, we'll come to that. Actually, you know what? Planes are becoming the safest place for social distancing because they're empty. They're empty. <laughs> yeah, and the prices are dropping. Some of the, I mean, I think what we see on social media is the extreme cases where there's like four people on a flight to wherever it may be. But the data is now emerging too that's showing yeah. that, that these these flights are are tanking. And, you know, now these reports are coming out that airlines are running, you know, Virgin and, and BA are running empty flights just to keep the slots alive. Uh, yeah, we'll co we'll come to that. Yeah, yeah, I think. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not. I mean, I think it was of all of the industries that could suffer the most initially. Who knows what yeah. the future holds? Travel and particularly yeah. airlines were going to be the ones that got hit hardest. Uh, yeah, exactly. I have a. Um... I was in an Uber the other day, social distancing, so you're not taking the, the tube. <laughs> no. uh, I was, and uh, the driver is telling me he was talking to some management at uh, the Marathon Park Lane in London, uh, telling him that all the all the bookings until end March were cancelled, so the uh, wow. hotel would be empty. Now I say, yeah, it's not a not a fun situation. Actually, Han Chicago, one of our listeners, uh, sent us a, a, a picture of him flying uh, Malaysian Airlines from Narita to KL. And he was the only person in business class wow. on a th on the three fifty nine hundred. I mean, it's insane. I'm I'm really it's, I've got a, a flight coming up a few actually in ten days, and I'm very interested to see what the loads are like. That is, if you fly, <laughs> sorry, do not reveal the destination because that's I one shan't. Of the I shan't. No, I, I won't. But um, <laughs> it's it's a mixed uh, mixture of things. So I'll be uh, you know, and quite a few segments. So it'll be interesting to see what the loads are like, and you know. And if you want to go somewhere, prices are, oh, you know. To a certain extent, because I believe that some, I mean, it's true that my Google flight track prices are crashing, which is good, but not to the extent I was thinking they could crash. And I think is because of the uncertainty, you know, some of the airlines on the hardware, I think BA a few years ago, was it during the financial crisis? They lowered their price significantly to attract, of course, customers flying. But then if the economy or here the virus recovers, not the virus, the economy recovers quickly, then they sold all those tickets forward for too cheap. That's why they, they are reducing the price, but not like still not rock crazy. bottom prices because they're like... Suddenly, if Alex and Paul can fly basically for free next year and the situation is good, then they have an issue. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's in between. But it's true that some destinations, particularly... Transatlantic yeah. to New York. I mean, even even California in the summer, I've seen a significant drop in price. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think the airlines are planning for this. To, you know, we'd rather have people in seats and flights operating at discounts rather than peak fares than not having anybody at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just cannot imagine being in revenue management right now. I don't envy <laughs> anybody in that role trying to make these decisions. And how far into the future do you discount? And yeah, awful, awful. I mean, even, even flights less than 30 days out to places that ordinarily are peak because of the Easter holidays are... Very, very accessible. The other case is when we see that happening is that if you're part of any freaking flyer program, the reward availability is super high. The prices of this reward is also crashing because yep. there's another way to attract people to, to fly. And they know that people that have like, like you and me, 
who have a certain number of points will be probably attracted by by these super cool deals. Like I, I was able to find insane business class reward flights to to Japan, and although Japan, I mean, it's not entire lockdown, and it's still okay. Yeah. But even you know, even simply saying, oh, you know, I might use that for I don't know the end of the summer. Because, yeah. you know, why not? You know? It would be very interesting to see, like, if you can just grab a flight to somewhere that you want to go when you think this is all going to be over and done with. If, you know, if you if you buy a reasonably flexible fare because it's so cheap and you can just yeah. change it to exactly. the dates you actually need. Yeah, that's an interesting point you're making. Some of the the airlines are currently waiving the change fees, so the, the, the rebooking dates, but that's usually only for this month currently. I think some of them extended to, to next month. So... Ironically, if you bought a ticket at the end of February, you still have to pay the change fee. So that, that's a bit bad, that meaning that it's more a way to attract people to say, hey, guys, still buy your flights. And if you're too concerned closer to the date, we'll waive you the change fee to push that uh, forward. They probably will prolong those. But, you know, again, if we, like you said, if I take a relatively flexible flight, if it's like, like 100, 200 bucks to change for a long haul flight, I might actually do it. Because yeah, yeah, then I can just invent some dates and like if I'm not planning to go there this date, I just push it back for two months and yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe uh, I haven't decided yet. It's two certain times. I everything is getting cancelled anyway right now. So for work, yeah, it's yeah. we're not. We both of us are are, are of, of course Dutch, so it's very hard to plan. It's very hard. It's, a, it's very, very hard, hard to plan because you know people are panicking and each environment and each. You know, country is reacting in different ways. Yeah, at, at a governmental level, local authority level, and also at a societal level as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> yes, for better hence or worse. The, hence my joke about the, the bog rolls, the the toilet paper at the start is like in some Australia apparently is a big thing. I was just actually talking just before we went on here to record. By the way, we're recording this on the eleventh of March, twenty twenty. Uh, I, I was on a call with someone from Sydney. Uh, of course, it was late at night for for him, and he was telling me, "Yeah, it's crazy. People are just buying toilet paper," which to me is maybe not the first thing I would buy in the event of the rapture, the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> I would buy it food, maybe you know, canned food like long term food or whatever. But I think it's more like. People kind of need to do something. Mm -hmm. So it's like a reassuring because, you know, toilet paper is something you will use it anyway at some point. So you do that and you say, oh, I've done something. But I, I, did you stock up? I've not stocked up on anything. (laughs) No. And although it was interesting, I did a grocery shop yesterday in our, in our local grocery store. And, you know, that aisle was thin, but not bare at all. So, you know. Where I live is, I uh, have like smaller type of shops because it feels like a small village. I mean, London is feels like a small village. And two of the, the three had no more pasta. And it's been three days in a row, there's no pasta. And I'm like, what the hell? So, I mean, not that I wanted to stuck up, but just, yeah. I mean, human yeah, psychology is strange. Yeah, we didn't, yeah. yeah. Well, and also it's it's seeing, you know, people, there's probably one person on social media a few weeks ago who was like, oh, I just went down to the store and bought 30 days <laughs> worth of toilet paper or five months or whatever. And then that just snowballs and every, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been... Well, pasta yeah. or whatever, but yeah, it's amazing how we um, how these it, things it, work. Literally. It's very interesting because we all have the same probably at a certain level. The whole same reaction is like: imagine we're a group of fifty people, and you and me are into that group, and suddenly you see the first five actually buying a lot of toilet paper, and then ten. At some point, it hits you like: shouldn't I do the same? Because yeah, it's it, not well, exactly. because it's necessary. 
if everybody around me does it, maybe I'm going to be the only one odd out, and yeah. I will. Yeah, so it creates this kind of very strange dynamics. And probably for flying, since we're talking about flying, it is a bit of the same here. Like, uh, I understand the fear, probably, about flying, especially the destination of flying itself. But there's something to be said about probably like, uh, should I go, should I go? And we're seeing that you just mentioned Eastern holidays. This is currently, I have lots of friends who work in the travel industry, you know, basically travel agents. They're getting all these calls from people that are like, should I fly? Should I not fly? Should I cancel? Should I not go? And, and they would lose their money because they, they bought, you know, like non-refundable flights like months ago to go with their family somewhere. It's, it's not an easy... I understand, you know, you're lacking... Nobody knows, so you're lacking information and that creates this kind of like... Uh, all my neighbors are considering yeah. their holidays. Maybe should I do that as well? Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, 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 a, it's a strange human reaction to situations like this, especially, I, I, I think, and I'm sure that we've got social... Well, maybe we don't have sociologists that listen to us. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things that uh, is just innate in our behavior that we, we, yeah. we act in such a way in times of panic, yeah. especially when we don't feel like we have enough information, you know, and real, that's... trustworthy information. And also for something that is unseen. You cannot touch it. A virus, you just, yes. you don't see it, right? If there's a dinosaur running down your street or uh, dinosaurs are extinct, but you know what I mean? There's something that you can say, oh, I, I've seen it. I, I, I will have my body react to a, an extra fear that I can actually witness. Here is like, it's in the air somewhere. And we're not even sure how, I mean, we sh yeah, the scientists are telling us how, but I mean, is it one meter of separation? Is it good enough? Should I not meet anyone for the next three months? It's so hard to know. I mean, there's been uh, images, very interesting in China. I've seen elevators putting, you know, sticker tape on the floor and they say, you know, these big fat elevators for very tall buildings. So they usually could accommodate up to maybe like, I don't know, 20 people. And the sticker tape says, you know, only four people and you all stay in your corner. Or in Italy, now you go to having a, a coffee and it's only two people at a time go grab the you know how they do in Italy you know you go grab the coffee at a, at a bar quick espresso ristretto and then you go out all these mixed signals is is hard but let's go back to let's go back to to to, to aviation I, I said in the opening of 105 that it would be a catastrophe and I said the IATA was underballing all this when they said it was 30 billion and now they revise the numbers and they say catastrophically that in the best case scenario they think the the airline industry will lose about 60 billion dollars in the worst case scenario meaning this drags out it's around 120 billion these numbers by themselves mean nothing but basically it's worse than 9-11 in terms of the drop of passenger demand we've seen many airlines i think united this morning said they were expecting in a worst case scenario again a drop of 70 percent and we're talking about the us which is a slightly on a tape delay compared to europe because of course if you just look at the, the spread not only of the virus but of these human reactions it feels that uh, the us is slightly on a tape delay in terms of how the people are reacting to this compared to europe and us compared to asia obviously minus 70 percent that's right now loud, you know. And, and I want to state, we want to state, I'm going to say that for you as well, before we go into a little bit more. My biggest thought here is, my biggest worry is, of course, all the employees of the airlines, yeah, the airports. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's uh, because... Because you're already seeing voluntary yeah. unpaid leave. You, you're going to see yeah. furloughing pretty soon. And I, uh, the CEO of Delta said in a press conference recently that he sees government bailout as inevitable for yeah. across the industry, not just in the US. Yep. And I think, yeah. you know, we're already starting to see airlines, you know, really coming under a lot of pressure <clears throat> and cracking yeah. uh, as yeah. well, which yeah. is 
frightening um, for many, many reasons. And of course, people's livelihoods are at stake, not, you know, directly and indirectly. I mean, in a, in an, mm. to an extent, you know, those that travel for work uh, will be uh, will be affected. But of course, as you say, the frontline staff and what well, just staff in general, people who work and support airlines yeah. in the aviation industry, they got to be, you know, up at night wondering what the hell is going to happen because they don't know any more than we do. And well, nobody really knows anything. The only thing we can witness and the airlines are witnessing is people are not flying. So, I mean, the demand is very soft. That's an under, yeah. understatement. Uh, people are not booking. It was quoted, I think, by the, the Air Current, you know, the, the site from, what's, site. what's his name again? Yeah. And he said that uh, he had heard a Middle Eastern manager of an airline, so probably one of the ME3, saying it's uh, it's like 9-11, only that people still can fly. They just don't decide to. And uh, the similar analogy was used by Kelly, the, the CEO of uh, Southwest, mm-hmm. who said also, this feels like 9-11. The numbers, however, and Ayata has come up, are showing a bigger crash in 9-11 in demand, so in actual bookings being received by airlines. And that's... You know, 9-11 was, was, was big, but this seems to be also worldwide. Like, the fear is yeah. not, is everywhere. Yeah, and, and it's uh, domestic, it's international, it's international, it's, it's regional, the, yeah. it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, with 9-11, the response was obviously primarily focused on the U.S., not exclusively, but, you know, a, yeah. a domestic route in rural Australia was probably less at risk for that. But now it's universal. People are it's absolutely af- everywhere afraid, and I think that's not something that we've experienced before. And no one knows what's going to happen or how to respond or anything like that. So it's a very, very weird time. Yeah. So I said on the the, the beginning of one of five. I mean, because if you want to have like an overview of, I think everything that I said still stand. I'm not again. Some I'm not here boasting. I don't find any satisfaction of having been right. I said the Geneva car show would be cancelled and it's been cancelled. Everything is getting cancelled basically. Uh, getting canceled. uh, I said they were and that was one of the reasons I cancelled my own trip to, to Japan. Although I would have now thinking again I would have still gone but I, I said that airlines would stop flying there and it's happening. United others are basically stopping flying there altogether meaning the hassle for me is the issue here. It's not the virus. It's like you go somewhere and then you are stuck in a lockdown. It happened to me, a friend. I was telling you the story last night, Alex. A friend of mine, like lands in oh, Europe, gosh. is arrives in Europe from Asia. Is being told by by France, I think, that well, we're not sure we can let you in, and then he wants to go back. So he's in the airport, wants to go back, and well, you've been to France now, yeah. <laughs> and these situations are more problematic that the virus itself is because these decisions are, are going very quickly on so many levels an airport level or local level government level it seems that all the visa agreements are going out of the way or visas are suddenly put like vietnam just added visa requirement for british citizens which wasn't the case for a long time these hassles keep continuing and so we'll see more route shutdowns more airport hassle there was a i don't know if you've seen there was a <laughs> Uh, pictures of Delhi. Uh, you've been to Delhi? Yeah, we've covered yeah. it. Uh, six hours to get into the airport, as in deplaning, because now they do temperature checks, plus uh, the they ask you to fill you a, a, a paper. But then you think, you're like, so you're going to be stuck for six hours with like thousands of people in an airport. And that's exactly the opposite of what you should do in terms of social distancing, if that's a thing that we should do. So it's all becoming... So all these hassles add up and add up and add up. Even like Qatar is taking like very a very strange decisions. They basically banned, I think, more than 40 countries from entering the country, but they still allow them to transit at Doha, which business-wise I understand because they don't want to kill Qatar Airways. 
but that doesn't make any sense then because you know people are going to be <laughs> anyway yeah. I, this this is this, but this is the thing we all have like these uncertainties about what's going to happen in a certain airport will we be accepted or not whatever by the way it's all, all not only iran and italy hong kong is uh, banning some french and german citizens el salvador is banning outright anyone who's been to france or germany so we're talking also about countries which have increased their cases but are not on the spotlight like Italy like, is yeah. or Iran is or obviously China was or South Korea. It's uh, And it also creates a thing. I mean, I've heard a lot, again, from my friends and travel agents. You know, Thailand is a very potent destination for tourism and people love to go to Thailand. They, they advertise themselves as that for the past 30 years. And now Thailand is mulling whether or not to impose quarantine on entry for some people, but they haven't announced it. So you're like, am I going to book for Thailand if in two weeks they decide that people coming from Europe have to be quarantined for 14 days. Yeah. Israel basically forcing everyone who enters to quarantine for 14 days, no matter the, where they come from. Again, we're not pure scientists or doctors, but business-wise, they're clearly killing the entry because would you go if you know that you have to stay for 14 days? It's impossible. No. <laughs> it's impossible. And, I, you know, it, it seems to be one of those things where some of these countries or regions or, or, or whatever are taking the nuclear option. And yeah. hoping that it either protects them. We all know borders are porous, but I think that you know they're they're taking this in the way to try and stop or stem the spread of this. It remains to be seen. I think China is an example of of not doing the lockdown at the at this level, but doing much more prevention. Same with Hong Kong. Same with Singapore. Prevention and detection and treatment at a rapid level. But I mean. I still think we're dealing with an unknown here. And, and again, like this is yeah. not something I know anything about. And frankly, no, to don't. be completely honest, haven't done any more reading on than I would on anything else. I don't know why. I just, <laughs> I, I kind of, it's not that I don't care. It's just like, you know, there's a few other things going on in the world. Like you said, you and I are seeing gigs getting canceled. And, you know, you, oh, yeah. if I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this. Um, but it, yeah. it is fascinating. It is fascinating if it wasn't so scary. And I don't even know uh, if it's we, scary, to be honest with you. No, no, it's not scary. That's the thing. It's And by the way, that's probably even the worst thing. Because if it was truly scary, like, you get it, you're going to be dead. At least we would know, okay, I'm going to you know, isolate or something. Or I'm going to do something about it. Here's this kind of, yeah, if you get it, you should be fine. And, but the problem is that you could be a vector for someone who's elderly around you. And mm -hmm. that is my moral, probably, at least for me, I decide that's my moral duty to, to give it. But then... It's kind of this kind of middle of the way thing. So it's not like scary, scary, scary. It's like worrisome, you know? Like, yeah. Mm. And in a, in a way for so well, not in a way, as a matter of fact, I mean, for so many people, life has to go on. We have yep. to go about our day to day, whether whether yep. we like it or not, and you know we're and you and me, you and me are lucky in a way. I mean, we're not lucky because we we're seeing clearly our business will suffer. Both of us, we we are in some state for those who because we're it seems like we're talking without having an audience here but for those who don't know us we have similar lines of businesses some of the stuff overlaps some of the stuff doesn't we're both going to get hit to a certain level exactly. so it's no fun but the, when i say we were lucky is that at least we don't have to go to an office at no, 8 a.m every morning or public transport exactly or public transport we work mostly from our places and then we travel when we need to uh, which probably will be less often now for a, a little mm -hmm. while but meaning that whole self 
isolation or you know social distancing thing we're basically doing it by default almost so we don't even have to worry about that you don't have to like take a like a crowded subway in the morning so these are these are things that we're looking that in that part the rest i mean we're not because clearly our life will be or business lives are not will be are affected by this anyway yeah. and and, and uh, we had a talking about you know um people who work in the travel industry we had a uh, alex uh, ostoike at uh, Perestroika, Ostroika, yeah. Perestroika 85 on twitter uh, as i'm working in the industry i'm currently more afraid of the economic consequences of this crisis than of the virus itself people are already losing their jobs because of it and if the situation will not get better rather quick i'm afraid many more will be laid off yeah And that's, I think that's yeah. inevitable. But yeah, and like you, <laughs> I obsessed a bit about this story. I read a lot. That's my early decisions. And I'm being surprised at what's happening now. This is what I said in 105, and I stand by what I said in 105. I called it. Uh, and I'm calling now that the numbers of Ayata are still low. This is worse and worse. Like the virus, the dominant effect is accelerating. Drastic borders, bans will happen at a fast click, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I... <sighs> I can guarantee you the US will go nuclear when they decide to. I see airports closing, I see countries closing, I see cities closing, I see even more reductions in routes and flights that is expected today. I mean, the numbers are drastic, but yeah, it's yeah. this will be worse. This is worse than a catastrophe. This, for the airline world and the world in general, might very well be the worst recession since World War II. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, anyway... So let's, I mean, of course, a lot of it has to do with the, the, the virus, but I wanted to kind of mix it up and not only talk just about, you know, the fears and whatever. So one of the consequences of, of that is obviously of the, the reduction in demand is, to me, an accelerant of the demise of the 380. Uh, Lufthansa was, uh, and that's insane, by the way, Lufthansa was grounding half of its fleet. And Lufthansa Group, that means, you know, Swiss and Austrian and everyone, half of its fleet, uh, 50% of its fleet uh, are, are grounding all their 380s. Qantas is grounding all the 380s. But one, Singapore, some of them, uh, EY hasn't, so sorry, EY, um, Etihad hasn't announced anything, but you cannot track the 380 for the past three days, so it's probably grounded. China Southern, obviously, because they're in China. Korean, all of them, 10 are grounded. Asiana are parked them all. And Air France, at least two of three have gone silent, so they're probably grounded. Emirates is the only one, meaning. I mean, of course, they have no choice, but, and they will keep flying them. But I'm thinking, because we were talking about that when you were uh, with me a few uh, months ago, that, oh, we'll still see it for the next uh, 10 years or whatever. Do you think, that's an open question, do you think that once these airlines ground them, no matter, you know, the, vir the virus at some point will get back to normal? Yeah. Do you think they will fly them? Do you think they will fly them again? Yeah. Do you think so? I think so. I, I, I really do. I think that there'll be enough demand to... A, a resurgence in demand, maybe not immediately bring them all back online. But I think the only reason why they are able to is because they have reduced capacity on other routes and can reassign those aircrafts to pick up the slack True. of grounding the A380s. If the world comes back even remotely to normal and they need to reinstate many of those routes, they won't have the option to, to, to not fly the 380 anymore. They, they, one hopes that, that, uh, We learn these lessons. I mean, I've got flights on Etihad coming up very, very soon, and they're still th showing us 380s. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, good. Oh, good. But who knows what's going to happen when when I actually show up at the airport? Whether it'll just well, be like you a, could have a you bus. could have a you could have a Dreamliner, and uh, the Dreamliner is very cool. I, I've used it. The studio seat is is very nice. Uh, ANA on the opposite side is launching their third 380. Yeah. They're very cute ones in advance. So they by June you'll have only 380s from Japan to from Tokyo to. 
Honolulu, so basically very close to the destination airport of this episode. So that in the, they are very cute. So the, they are, those uh, paint they, jobs are just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Ed Parsons, thank you again, Ed, for uh, hosting yes, us in our previous episode. And Alex is going to be with us. We're going to do others of these like fan shows. Uh, Ed said uh, for the 380, because of the oil prices that are tanking, that's the other thing, because there's a price war between Russia and Saudis, so basically, you know, not, not going to politics, but the price of oil is crashing literally uh, which is a silver lining for the airlines because only oil yes. is uh, kerosene is, is is cheaper he says maybe it's a good way for ba to buy more secondhand 380s because um they need them because of Heathrow. yeah although ba seem to be able to magically pull Heathrow slots from their butts like they, you know, the, we saw, I don't know if you're going to come up ah. to this and forgive me if you are, but no, go ahead, go ahead. we just saw Air New Zealand pay 20 or sell a slot for $28 million. Yeah. We don't know to who, because they're no. ditching, which they announced a while ago, back in October, that they're ditching that Heathrow LA route, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, but they sold oh, that is. slot for $28 million bucks, And so there's yep. this, apparently they, we don't hear about all of these, but it happens all the time. Hundreds yes. and hundreds per year. But then... <laughs> I'm going blind. The sun's coming out. <laughs> You're not seeing this, but I, I'm seeing Alex, of course, on a video, and he has these the window on top of him, and suddenly the sun came out. It's very rare these days in the UK, and there was no more Alex. I only saw like a yep. sea of white just because of the sun. Nuclear fallout. <laughs> um, we, but but then yesterday or day before it was announced that Heathrow got twelve or BA got twelve oh. Heathrow slots, and that was getting the fly B ones. Yeah, because it was the that was a very interesting one because it was like how why would BA get them? And actually, because when BA bought BMI, part of the agreement was to say since this consolidation of the market a long time ago. Part of the agreement for antitrust uh, reasons was to say you have to give out parts of your own slots to a competitor, which turned out to be Flybe. Flybe Fly B disappears, and we'll get to that also a little bit later. Thus, well, they magically return to BA. So BA has, has suddenly like a lot of more slots, which seems unfair for the other airlines, but that was part of the deal. So it's not like they gave them to BA. And it will be interesting to see what they do with them. Especially now. I was going to say, especially now. Uh, I mean... <laughs> God, who knows? Uh, so to finish on the 380, if you go on aviationtag.com, you can own a part of the first ever 380 that is being scrapped. It's the Singapore Airline one. This company, you know, they got key rings and keychains yeah. and stuff like that. If you like that kind of stuff, they are currently selling, and it's pretty cheap, I think 30 bucks or whatever for a keychain, yeah. which is an original part of the 380 with a metal and everything. It's pretty fun if you're into this, if you're like a heavy AV geek, at least you can own part of a 380, which is which is not bad. Delta, talking about another aircraft that is disappearing, actually disappearing, this one is Delta, might retire early their MD-88 and 90s, yes. because of the fall of demand as well. And we're not Big fans, you and me, of this one. But I realized that a lot of people are because when I put that on, on Twitter, uh, on our lay underscore overs account, people reacted. The 340 is also being retired with more haste. Virgin is retiring. There are 340, 600s. They had three. And it's, it's actually super ironic because late last year, they were saying, 
we were supposed to retire them by December 2019, but we actually need them. And now yeah. they're like, well, bye-bye. Yeah, I think they needed them because of the Trent issues. I and mean, we still yeah. see Dream, uh, Virgin Dreamliners yep. just sitting there, engineless at Heathrow. But yeah, the 346 of all of the 340 variants, I wish there weren't that many, was by far my favorite. Because it looked weird, first of all, because it was so it super long and gangly. But also, yeah. it wasn't unpleasant to fly. And it was really quiet no, for an okay. airplane of, yeah. it, of that generation. I mean, now we're obviously into yeah. 380s and Dreamliners and 350s that are just so unnervingly and wonderfully quiet. Unnervingly <laughs> quiet. Sometimes, I love that. Yeah, I mean, the 380, when you're on the upper deck on a 380 and it's taking yeah, off, it's you're insane, like, surely yeah. it should be louder if we're going to break you know, the bonds of gravity here. <laughs> yeah, and it seems that you're never actually taking off or landing. You're like, ah, we're like just floating. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is yeah. You know, quite a nice sensation. So back to a few more numbers about the virus, because I need to mention, uh, you haven't seen Alex because you weren't with us, but we keep talking about US airports and we're doing one more actually in, in this one. It's amazing. And so we have, of course, a huge bumpy US audience. So to see that a virus also affects, and we kept mentioning since the start of this show, Delta has announced uh, that they will reduce capacity by, I think, more than 10% internationally and 8% wow. domestically united has already cut capacity and will cut international capacity by 20%. Southwest said that the company's revenues would fall by as much as 300 million. Oh my God. You know what? They might not need the maxes after all because uh, the maxes on the ground, you know, we don't need them right now. So it gives more time to the FAA and Boeing to sell these out. Uh, and uh, Zane Zanengi, who is one of our uh, longtime listeners on Instagram, tells me he's seen Delta 350s being shifted from the Asia routes, because of course they don't need them, to flying military passenger charters out of the Middle East. That's interesting. Wow, that is interesting. And it's smart, actually smart. I mean, let's use these planes that we have to do something actually useful with them, right? (laughs) And you have to think, I mean, just thinking a little further down the chain, you know, you've got all those airlines and charter companies that are dependent on traffic for the Hajj and the, the pilgrimage to Mecca. I think it's canceled. Exactly. So oh, sorry. Yeah. These companies, like, this is, that, that's their, like, bumper period yeah, from yeah, all yeah, over yeah, the world. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. can they last? Yeah, exactly. Are they going to survive? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We would get to a few of the companies at risk in a while, but honestly, I, I, I don't. Even, sorry, guys, because there's so many things here and we're jumping back and forth because there's, like, no way to actually address this, like, by chapters or anything. You just mentioned that you were finding, like, some good routes to San Francisco from London. But I mean, even BA reduced their their number of flights to GFK. And we know that London GFK is the most profitable route ever. So if BA reduces their golden goose, there's something up, clearly. And by the way, I, I was supposed to be in New York actually today and tomorrow, and I'm not, I'm here talking with you from London. I was still tracking the prices to, to New York, I simply left the thing on. They didn't really go down that much. Actually, maybe because, uh, you know, there's less flights going. There's there, less actually. capacity, yeah. So in a way, that might have been a pretty smart move. I would be interested to see that traffic relative to other of the, maybe the top 50 routes in the world. We might actually get this number. I think we probably will. Qantas is also announcing a a reduction, I think, by almost a quarter for the next six months. So they expect that this to last a a bit. Of course, the biggest reductions to to Asia, which is a big market for them, obviously, but also within Australia into Tasmania. I mean, it's part of Australia, but next door. But they they are, and that's interesting, they are doubling the Perth to London route. means that 
I'm guessing people in these times of uncertainty, they say, I don't want to stop in Singapore. I'd rather go direct. Yes. Maybe. I, I'm Maybe. sure there's, I don't know if that's enough to sustain a no, but more more capacity, but it's obviously this is proving to be a popular route. We know that Ed's done it, that, yeah. that flight. I, Lucky you, Ed. I can't, yeah, I still can't imagine what that's like, but yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> one. And I, I read today a rumor that BA is briefing his pilots already for that, for London, oh. Melbourne on the 350 Oh, wow. When that comes online. So, and there is a lot of talk around that route of London, Sydney, London, Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne is, that's interesting they picked that route. But so you're right. Perhaps this has spurred on those conversations where people don't want to stop in, in, in Asia if it yeah. takes a long time yeah. to eradicate this completely. Maybe. By the way, I have no insights into that. It was just interesting that they're reducing everything, but announcing the doubling of that route at yeah. the same time. So maybe they simply have capacity. And New Zealand as well is, uh, is also, I think, slashing by 25% so a quarter, at least. Uh, the executives are taking a pay cut, which is something we've seen over and over. Like a lot of executives are taking a pay cut. It's a bit symbolic, but also means that something is, of course, uh, happening. Um, Singapore Airlines are also, the executives also taking a pay cut. AirAsia X, somewhere in Asia, is deferring the 330. 30 news deliveries. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, we're going to use the R321s for the for the moment. But have you seen what they came up with? So they, they came up with that unlimited pass. So the unlimited pass is basically you pay around 90 pounds. So it says, what, $110. I don't know the exact exchange rate. For one year, you're allowed to fly for free. I mean, for free, for that price. Almost like, you know, buffet as much as you want wow. thing. And you can fly only, only it's already cool, from Malaysia. You have to be a resident of Malaysia to Australia, China, India, Japan, and South Korea. Obviously, when they started, none of these destinations yeah. were once. I, but, I, I, mean, I would love to see the terms of that and whether or not this is... It, I, I keep reading reports and banter about that these guys are in a, in a really bad way. That's exactly what my thinking is. Is like, did they not introduce this as part of knowing that they have have to kind of find cash and finance somewhere and they say look buy like a yearly in advance you know how to quit for flight sets you want so they get cash in fusion right now they currently to your point actually i've checked yesterday you can find some of the routes you can fly for free without that pass you can fly almost for free you just have to pay taxes so i think you can do KL to Melbourne for like 20 bucks. Wow. And you can do, uh, there was a flight that was like three bucks. And you're like, if you do this, it means that probably it's not just out of courtesy to your passengers. They may be reeling. They may be very, very close to, to the brink. It, uh, it's, it it's, definitely feels like they are. Yeah. Uh, that's what, I mean, they've, they've even come out and said it. They, they did a, I think the the PowerPoint is available online that that they're just really struggling at the moment, and so they're like you said they're deferring and they're reallocating and they're reducing capacity. So, mm. and another thing that obviously I didn't think about at first with that virus thing is the cost of cleaning the planes has only kind of risen up a lot. So Vietnam Airlines, take one example, had recently a flight from London to Hanoi. Happened to be that one of the passengers was a super spreader, apparently someone who was more infectious than on average. By the time they landed, they had seven people who were infected by the virus. Again, they were not going to die, probably not. But I mean, it's not reassuring for the passengers. So the airlines, of course, are like also kind of putting a lot of messaging into how they do this. And so Vietnam Airlines is now cleaning the planes on every turn, which I cannot imagine the cost of actually doing that. Korean Air is doing the same. All the flights are being cleaned out. The Korean Air almost doesn't fly anymore, sadly. Mm. Uh, 
Turkish didn't do that at first. And what they had to do, they flew a, a flight empty back from Singapore because they didn't clean it. So they said, we're going to fly empty. And by the way, the crew was quarantined in Singapore because of that potential infection. So it creates a lot of Emirates, to, to make that story short, Emirates actually has come out with videos on how they clean the planes. And these yeah, are super interesting. They, and they, are interesting. Deep, they are deep cleaning them every time. Yeah, so they have two sets of cleaning. They have the enhanced cleaning, as they call it, which takes... They said an hour at every turn, and it's like, uh, what is it? Hold on, I've, I've written it down here somewhere. Uh, 18 train cleaners for a 777 and 36, 36 for a, a 380. That takes around an hour. And if there is a suspicion of someone that could have had the virus in a flight, they do a deep clean, and that takes six to eight hours. Yeah. Holy cow. Imagine the cost. But then again, they have no choice because that's also part of them to encourage people to fly. Yeah, reassuring. Telling them, hey, look, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, well, oh, well. So the airline's at risk. In South Korea, clearly both Asiana and Korean Air are at risk. Actually, Korean Air said it. They said they cut more than 80% of their capacity. So basically, they're almost not. 80%. Incredible, isn't it? Probably we'll see a too big to fail scenario here. Probably they will get, like oh, you said earlier, sure. infusion. Cathay, clearly, I mentioned it in the last episode. Cathay is also, I mean, just look at the pictures of Hong Kong Airport. They have all the planes parked on the, great for photography, but not great for, for I think, 75% uh, reduction. Yeah. Will they get a too big to fail package? I, by yeah, the they will. And also, you think uh, so? okay. the, the CAA in Hong Kong has relaxed slot restrictions yes. so yes. that they don't lose yes. them if they don't fly them, which... Yep. absolutely makes sense because this notion of flying around empty planes is preposterous. Yeah, I mean, we can address that right now. This is exactly what happens in Europe and you've seen, so it's use it or lose it. And in Europe, that's a regulation, it's 80-20, you have to use 80% of the time of the slot, otherwise you're actually losing it. And like you said earlier, the price of the slots in airports like Heathrow is super, super high, thus nobody wants to lose them, though they're flying the planes empty. The European Commission just yesterday, so March the 10th, said that they will soften or remove that rule temporarily, which is good. The downside yeah. of the European Commission, uh, and um, it's not an anti-EU stance, it's as a bureaucratic process. They have to legislate first for it to happen. So it's not as if they just decided and stopped. It's still happening. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, we did Brexit now, but we're still part of the EU. So it, I think it will apply for the UK as well. But it's true that it's completely nonsensical for the airlines, nonsensical for the environment to yeah, fly it's empty obscene. planes just to keep... I mean, exactly, it's absolutely obscene. The airline, I think you, you told me that as well on a private message, the airline that is probably very much at risk is Norwegian, don't you think? Oh, I mean, they, they've been on the ropes for ages as we've talked about yeah, exactly. on this podcast. So this is really the last thing that they need. And I don't know if they would get any kind of government intervention. No, that's the thing. they're not even close yeah. to being a flag carrier despite their name. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I mean, think there's so much private debt there that yeah. it wouldn't go to them anyway. It would be a real shame to see them go, but this True. is going to break so many airlines. And, and again, those that aren't eligible for this too big to fail bailout, which again is inevitable. Yeah. And, and I have a feeling that in a year or so, maybe even less, we're going to be talking about it's completely ridiculous that they bailed out airline A, B, and C again, but but this good airline was left to die on the vine because they yeah. you know they weren't big enough. The, the, this, yeah. These challenger lines. who knows? What will happen probably is uh, you know the U.S. kind of went into a consolidation because of 9/11, because of the financial crisis. Europe hasn't, also because Europe is fragmented. So, you know, Lufthansa is German and Iberia is, I mean, they're part of IAG and groups and stuff, but there's still a lot of airlines. I'm not saying it's bad, it's good for 
of our choice as consumers, I'm pretty sure this will kind of force and fast track consolidation in Europe. You will have airlines, so like a Norwegian, either he crashes completely out or is bought out by IAG. IAG wanted them for a long time, for instance, or smaller airlines like second tier and not in service, but in terms of capacity, they will be in consolidation, which is not good news for us because it means less airlines are probably higher prices, yeah. but it will happen. Or oh, and the same in the low cost ones, you know, if a Wizz Air over leverage, because that's the thing, the over leverage ones, lots of debt like Norwegian will be the first to go or the first to be acquired. And maybe, you know, like there are some airlines like Lufthansa has a lot of cash. They could acquire someone, Air France not that much, but they're, they're they're good. They're not going to disappear, but maybe not have the capacity to buy. But they are. There will be a rejiggling probably happening, and that will trigger what you just said. Is like some governments are very protective of their national airlines or airlines that go to their markets, and these bailouts suddenly will happen yeah. to say, "Ah, oh, we don't want these other guys to own our airlines, so we'll keep them for ourselves." But there will be a consolidation. I'm oh, I'm I'm, I'm I'm pretty certain. And I don't uh, think it's going to be acquisitions or anything like that. It's just going to be they 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 fly B. They just stop. I mean, I, yeah, maybe I don't. Know. SAS apparently is also very. Now, popular. see, they'll get. There's no way that they. Yeah, yeah, they'll get. Yeah, of course. Which these, is so ridiculous will... to say it like that. You know, it's yeah. it's ridiculous that it's that. You know, I know that these they uh, they provide a vital service almost to the extent of being like a utility provider, but. Mm. They are private businesses in many regards, and it, yeah. you know, it's not going to be a fun conversation. And there will be strong arguments on both sides of the table for why this yeah. should and should not happen. Yeah, TAP will have apparently has issues in Japan. They will have the bailout. Both of them, I'm pretty certain that JAL and ANA will have some kind of yeah, bailouts. Yeah. The Alitalia, for some reason, Alitalia will survive. I mean, that's always the case, isn't it? It's almost like a rule in aviation now. It's like it's Al Baker will say something bad about the airlines, and Alitalia survives. Yeah, the two rules that we know about aviation. So. The government had said that, well, we're not going to give them a cent. Yeah, well, that will be the excuse for the government to give them more than a cent, actually, I'm pretty sure. They they were actually flying to Milan, and the city was in lockdown. I'm like, why are you flying there? Yeah. I just, you know. Why putting I think people at a... risk, man, you know, if, if this is really the case? <laughs> uh, South African, maybe. Uh, oh. ooh, tell us. South African is on the verge of bankruptcy. They've reduced their number of flights before that because they were, like, having cash issues. So I don't know about now uh, what will happen. Remember Starlux, Alex? Mm -hmm. The, the, the Taiwan? Taiwanese one, yeah. They're only flying one aircraft now. Just that's it. I mean, what a shitty time to start an airline. Right? <laughs> exactly. You know what's right. funny yeah. is that the last time I was saying to, to somebody the other day, the last time all this happened in the economic crisis, we were trying to start an airline. So yep, I don't yep. I don't envy them. That, I mean, no. surely that they yeah. won't get out of this. I, though you mentioned earlier the countries that are doing a good management of the of the virus itself. Taiwan is a, a bright example for me because Taiwan is an yep. open democracy, transparent. I mean, don't take that as like, the others are not, but they're more authoritarian to various levels. You know, China and Singapore to various levels, very top down. Taiwan seems to be more open, and they're managing this pretty well, which means that is a is a is a blueprint for countries that uh, do not have uh, the capacity to do these top-down approaches that, frankly, are not possible in Europe or in the US. Uh, anyway, and the other, of course, open question is Boeing and Airbus. They will probably suffer as well. Yeah. And Boeing is not in a great place. Uh, no matter if people do not need their Maxes, it's not fantastic. Uh, airports also having issues. The uh, Airports Council International is saying that this is basically unprecedented. So again, issues. What do you think? Because we had a debate, you and me. What do you think about airport screenings? Not uh, especially in the UK. I mean, in general, what do you think? It's really hard. We're not scientists, but what do you think overall? Are they like just like theater or? Is yeah, I think they're generally valid? theater. I think that the effort versus reward, I think, is is so low. That's why the UK hasn't done it. 
there are of course circumstances where if a passenger, well, they're doing this in Dubai, right? If you come in from a, from Iran or from Bahrain, mm-hmm. which actually I think they've cut off completely that air corridor, and a few other places, you go into a separate area, and everybody coming off the airplane is 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 screened for at the very least temperature. Uh, Russia does that. I think Aeroflot flights are going to a different terminal now. If you're coming from at risk places, yeah, and I think that uh, that that makes sense. But I think you know, as a, I mean, when SARS happened in Hong Kong, uh, mm-hmm. or just in that region in general. For, they had that in place where they would use the infrared yep. temperature monitoring. As you, do. you would just yep. keep, keep keep walking through. But even when we went, whenever I was last there with my family, they checked all the kids' temperatures as we came in, and that was like a year ago. Japan, I mean, you probably remember that. Yeah. Japan still has they, the temperature monitor controls on every flight. I think this is why Asia overall, the airports, are more used or prepared to this kind of stuff because they had all these measures in place already. Uh, IFR doesn't have temperature monitoring devices just because they never actually put them in place in the first place. Should they? Hard to tell. I'm not a scientist. We know that there's a lot of asymptomatic cases. A lot of people are like barging, even myself, like, should we do something? Should we especially allow people to fly from Italy? I, to be frank, I don't know. I don't know. To be frank, I don't know. I I told you the example earlier about New Delhi. Uh, Is it better to have like papers to fill and being checked, but staying for six hours? Then I'm just not going. No, because then you're holding people in close confinement for (laughs) six hours, you know, as... (laughs) <laughs> it's complicated. A friend of mine just flew back from South Africa and Zimbabwe and et cetera. And she was telling me how the measures there are like super, super harsh. It feels you are monitored and protected. And she was baffled that landing back in the UK, it was business as usual. To be honest, I don't know. I, I, at first, I was like very like, what the hell are we doing in the UK? We're not doing anything. It's not acceptable. We're still flying to Italy. I think yesterday, BA canceled. And now Ryanair is, I think, is the last one to still fly. And I don't know. To be honest, I don't have the data. It feels that something should be done. And they say we have leaflets, but they're leaflets that are nowhere to be seen. But is that actually effective in the end, especially for an illness that you might not see, mm-hmm. uh, that you might not have a fever on? No case is open and that's what my friend told me when she flew back she said uh, two gentlemen on our flight literally hacking up a lung one guy knocked over his drink due to his violence in coughing so yeah well you're like ah, it's not really reassuring when no. you have that so should you do something should you have like medics there approaching these people even if it's, it's a bit inconvenient that's the thing i think in japan and in the uk we have this culture of not inconveniencing people mm-hmm. Is that playing against us? I don't know. To be frank, I don't know. I don't want to take a stance. Yesterday, you would have asked me and said, yeah, it's a scandal. Heathrow should do something. There are criminals for not doing anything. And now I'm like, I'm not sure. I mean, even they've come out and the UK government have come out and say, we just don't think it's effective. There are 10 other things that we can be doing and allocating resources to that we think would be far more effective for managing this. Mm -hmm. So, and it seemed completely reasonable. Yeah. In the US, the Trump administration is threatening the airlines of fines up to, I think, $250,000 because the airlines are resisting data collection. So basically, the, the White House wants airlines to say, Alex, you're coming from London to San Francisco. You need to fill a form to tell where you've been in the past. You know what we, we do in some countries, where you've been in the past 14 days. And that's all data collection has to be done. And the airlines are saying, no, it's too costly. We don't have the capacity to do that. 
And now the White House is threatening the airlines with, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be solved but with heavy fines if they don't. So maybe and when you'll get to the US next time or guys in the US tell us, maybe you'll get like at least maybe some paperwork to be filled because that's what the airline is saying. Oh, we're just going to give passengers a paper form to fill. Again, I'm not sure because if it's self-declaratory. Well, exactly. Because will someone's going to go, say? I have a cold versus, <laughs> oh, I definitely have coronavirus and I'm excited to be quarantined for 14 days. Yeah. Will you actually state that you've been to Italy? Like well, just before, that's just a bit before. different. But I know that's the thing. Look, I understand it. Basically, you have APIs to check that, advanced passenger information, so they could actually get the information. But the whole uncertainty now is like, if you've been to Milan a week before the shutdown, which is now two weeks ago, whatever, will people take you with... I don't know. I doubt it. I, I, it's very human to not be willing to put yourself in a quarantine situation. I'm not saying it's good to lie. I'm saying that could happen. It's really hard to know. And it's, these guys know better. People at airports, I hope they have behavioralists, that's a term, to understand what's the human psychology of a Paul or an Alex. I don't <laughs> lie, but uh, I, I don't know. The US also, the White House also stopped short of asking elderly to simply not fly. They didn't say that. You would imagine... And again, we're relying on the common, yeah, 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 collect, yeah, yeah, our collective yeah. common sense. But yeah, if you're yeah. at risk, whether you are elderly or you are, you know, immunodeficient or immunocompromised, that you would probably avoid flying an airport. I mean, the U.S. is, you know, they haven't really taken the lead on much, much of this at all. <laughs> of course. <laughs> there are a tape delay. I think it's Yeah, important. tape delay is a perfect it, way to put it. I think it, uh, in our behaviors, we all are on a tape delay compared to the previous country. We're like, should we believe this? Is it really big? Uh, anyway, it's not all grim. I think because we've been talking about stuff that seems that it's the end of the world. I don't think it's the end of the world. We're going to get through this. The one maybe item I didn't say in opening a 105, and I want to say, here as well, because I hear a lot of people saying we should close all the borders and basically people do not move for like three months. A bit of like an anti-globalization stance. And like, this is wrong because the reason we are going to solve this is because we have globalized research. We know what's coming. We know how to detect it now. We have like scientists working around the clock and they already made discoveries about this. We will have a vaccine pretty quickly because we all working together, because we're working with people, whether it's from China, South Korea, the Philippines, Brazil, the US, the UK, we're all working together. This is what we do. And I think the anti-globalization stance that kind of reels in with this debate is is wrong. Yeah, It's it's, it's very yeah, wrong. It's it's just, to try and have that conversation in the midst of all of this, I don't think is massively productive. Yeah. I didn't ask you, what did you think about this uh, Flybee situation? What are you using? Where are you flying them? I haven't flown them in a while, but I was very, very sad because they do provide unique service, especially within the UK. They're mm -hmm. linking these smaller airports and London to these smaller airports, and it's a tragedy. I'm still not 100% sure what happened because they were acquired by that Stope, like the Virgin Atlantic group, and it seemed like that was going to be okay for them, but then... The amount of debt that they that they had and the amount of money that they needed to keep going was was staggering. And they tried to get deferrals mm. of for APD and people like O'Leary and Willie Walsh freaked out about that, which is just such a dick move. They were going to break eventually, right? And these guys, but it's a tragedy when when a local or regional carrier that provides this much needed service and you know is it Southampton or or one of the local airports. It's like 90% of their traffic. Oh, wow. And so they're like, what now? What do we do? We've just lost, you know, yeah. all, basically all of our traffic. I want to say thank you to Kevin on, was it on Twitter? Yeah. K8Vin, 
who sent us a Ethro approach. He was filming, like have geeks do, like we do. And he said, I shot this yesterday completely unaware. I was sitting on one of their last flights. So sad. Yeah, it's sad. And the virus clearly kind of worsened the situation. But as you say, they already had like probably unsurmountable amount of debt to kind of overcome. Now, the question is, was it also a move to kind of say, okay, let's wipe out that debt and let's be maybe Virgin Connect will create something. However, they lost these 12 slots. You mentioned uh, 12 daily flights from Ethro that BA got magically back, like I explained yeah. earlier. I don't know. By the way, talking about slots, Thomas Cook's slots at Gatwick and Bristol were bought by EasyJet. So it's not always BA for 36 million. That I'm completely unaware of. These kind of sell and buying slots... Is that happening at this? I mean, of course, London is, you know, congested, but is it something that is even authorized, like in Paris or Amsterdam or Frankfurt or not even mentioning, you know, Singapore or whatever? I, I'm not exactly sure how it works in other countries. We always hear about London because yeah. look at the prices. You remember Oman Air was like $75 million yeah, or something. Yeah, for those coveted early morning. Yeah, 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 exactly. I don't, I don't know. There was an article on the BBC about it when this – Air New Zealand one was announced, and it was really interesting to read because I didn't know it was such such a an active market of this mm -hmm. uh, in sometimes trades, bartering, and then sales and acquisitions. It's not regulated. It's not reported. I don't think hugely the operator cares that Heathrow or this or the CAA here care. Unless as long as they're as long as they're occupying it, yeah, as I said before, I, I don't which know. is now it's really interesting. Relaxed, I want to dig but... into it more because it is kind of interesting yeah. about this sort of little sub gray area, gray market economy with staggering <laughs> numbers as well. Yeah, course. staggering numbers. Yeah, it's very interesting what you said. The reason that Oman Air's slot was so expensive is because it was an early morning. New Zealand's to compare, you said twenty-seven, twenty-eight million dollars. I think the flight was leaving around, sorry, landing around 11 a.m. and leaving around 3 or 4 p.m., which is a less coveted slot, hence the differential in prices, whereas Oman Air is a super early one, so which is why it was so expensive. Yeah, I'm still sad to see uh, Air New Zealand go. I didn't know that the route, so the ability of you and me to fly to Auckland, has doubled in the past... Uh, 10 years, probably we know the Middle Eastern, et cetera, et cetera. But that this specific route that neither of us has taken was less than 7% of the entire market share from London to Auckland. So it was not actually that important. Not a huge thing for them. And I think Air New Zealand really wants to kind of go back to a more Pacific Rim focus and like where they are. It's still sad because I love the delivery. I mean, delivery of that aircraft is so it looks awesome. cool. Yeah, and apparently it's a good product <laughs> as well. The announcement was they're still flying until June, but like you said, the slot was sold for October, November. So I don't know what's going to happen in between. Are they still flying it? Are they going to lease it out? No idea. Uh, something will, will happen. But all this in the context of the third runway, which is seemingly not happening anymore. No, it's <laughs> not. There was a, this court ruling that uh, it wasn't yeah. environmentally sound or the due diligence hadn't been done. I think it's not going to happen. I just don't think no, it's going to happen. I think so too. You know, for the first time, before it was like, yeah, they're going to struggle, they're going to fight. For the first time, I believe it's not going to happen at all. No. Yeah, it was the the court decided that the studies didn't take into account the Paris Agreement, 
to the basically environmental global accord and that yeah but i don't think it will happen so what do you think will happen then will well we... the price of those slots are going to go up that's for sure um do you think it gives a chance to get with to build a second or third one no because we, i, I mean it? the fallout from this at least a lot of the editorial opinion was that not only is this going to preclude any further expansion of airports it could also impact road and rail projects in the future mm. hs2 yeah. or any expansions of motorways or anything like that which is not good as far as i'm concerned i mean of course you have to have these environmental impact studies and they have to be done properly but if you want the economy to grow and or in this case recover there has to be the infrastructure to support it and there's got to be some middle ground what the hell else are we going to do if we can't get around you know are we going to go back to subsistence farming i i don't think so <laughs> i haven't heard i haven't heard a solution articulated from either camp of how they're going to make this you know, and not just airports, for everything. Yeah. The world doesn't stop turning because of the Paris Climate Agreement, which is a very, very, very important piece of legislation. So I don't know what's going to happen. Times of uncertainty, man. This is what I'm telling you. So a little bit more about two products, and then we'll move on to a bit of reviews about our own flights. Again, for some that we've done a bit in the past, we have a huge backlog still. Vistara, Vistara, that uh, yeah. famous uh, joint venture between Singapore Airlines and the Tata Group. Uh, they actually are eyeing slots at Heathrow, so they're looking to, to, to fly here. And they've just introduced their new product on their delivery of their first Dreamliner, the Dash 9. It looks pretty cool. It looks very Singapore Airlines, yeah. but it looks really cool. I mean, what a pedigree to be able to rely on for when you're uh, yeah. I think um, I, the, I saw it on, on Johnny on the designer website, and it looks all CGI, I think, at this point. I don't think it's yeah, real. Yeah, I think so. But it looks, like, Much. as you say, I mean, it looks strong. It looks really strong. And what a... There's been so many comings and goings on that route between India and Europe. And with airlines dropping like flies on the Indian subcontinent, then... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to it'll be nice to have a decent uh, provider there because I think Air India's reputation is in is in tatters and the product is not not brilliant from what I've heard. I've never experienced it, so uh, yeah, that's good luck to them. I've I've experienced once Air India, and yeah, nah. I mean, it was domestic, so I I will hold my my judgment. Um, since we're talking about product, and we already talked like twenty five times about Air New Zealand. You've never flown Air New Zealand, right? Oh, yeah, I've never. Have you seen the pictures of a yet a new innovation they're trying to do, which are these like birth, the small V-shaped cabin at the very end of the economy cabin, which will host six or eight, I think six beds. No, I haven't seen that. So it's not the thing, you know, on the cargo, under the, the passengers. It's really like where a bar would sit for a 380, for instance. Of course, we're not talking a 380 here. They will have like almost like you know like in the train when you're like a small compartment with six beds you actually are lying flat. So it's V-shaped because where the plane papers. No, it's actually inverted from oh, that. Well, that's I think interesting. It's, okay, it's more. I guess it's mostly to kind of create some sense of privacy. Mm -hmm. And the plan is to test that product in New Zealand. They're always testing. You know, they already had the sky bed, and they they will test this as an economy passenger to rent this out for a certain amount of time. I'm not sure about the amount of time. The, the thing is, it's probably better than economy even for like a couple of hours yeah. to go and sleep there. The thing is, it's uh, I don't know if you've ever seen guys and you, Alex, you probably have, when you're looking for a new place to rent or a place to buy, people use, and I'm a photographer, I should know about that, use very clever use of yes. lenses to make the places look much bigger. Like your kitchen is massive. And, oh my God, it's actually not 
it's tiny. Yeah. That's a bit of the thing that I've seen here because the first images made it look like I'm in first class in the economy. And then when you look closely, some non-use of these kind of lenses pictures, it seems pretty tight. And I'm like, again, it's better than economy. I don't want to be dissing this product. And they were testing it. And they probably also don't know. But it's like, you and me, Alex, plus four others in a very confined space yeah. with people snoring and... Will it be attractive? Doesn't maybe sound like a huge amount of fun. But maybe it's better than a middle seat. Yes, indeed. Well, that's so. the thing, isn't it? It's, it's the lesser of two evils. So still, it's a bunk bed, basically. It's a bunk bed with a little ladder step. And yeah, it's, it will be interesting to see if it actually... But kudos to Air New Zealand. Yeah, for they're always trying, doing this, aren't they? They're always trying these, uh, these new stuff. From future projections to two little flight reviews, one of mine's, although... <clears throat> I'm not flying. Um, um, I will fly probably after May. We'll see. I've canceled everything until then. So it's something that I've done uh, in, uh, when was it? In November. And uh, Alex, when was your Maui December. flight? December. So we're still talking 2019. Thus, as you know, guys, I have this massive backlog of reviews on my own. I will segment them. So this is part of the very crazy trip I've done, which is I've left London. I went to Lisbon for not Web Summit, but it was the day before Web Summit because everybody's there. I don't like Web Summit. I don't think either Alex does. Nope. <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, practical because everybody was there. So I could make a few meetings and then left from Lisbon to New York, had a meeting in New York. So I landed at like, I think, 9 p.m. in New York at GFK. I had the next day a meeting and at 8 p.m. the next evening, I was on that very long Singapore flight in first class from JFK to Singapore via Frankfurt. I stayed two days in Singapore and then I flew back with Cathay Pacific first as well. That was a reward flight via, of course, Hong Kong. Ah, oh, the times where I was still flying. <laughs> I will not cover these two. These are the most interesting. I know, but I want to cover a little bit of TAP because it's interesting because I've read... So many things about TAP these past uh, few weeks. Of course, first is uh, David uh, Neilman, who just uh, finally announced the name of his uh, new airline, Breeze, and not Moxie. David Neilman is uh, this hero of the aviation industry. He's created so many airlines. I didn't know that David Neilman was part of the consortium that owns 40% of TAP, actually. Yeah. But apparently, they're not in good terms. The government that owns the rest and that consortium are not in good terms meaning that uh, Lufthansa, United are looking into buying that bit. So TAP would be brought back into a more Star Alliance, a part of Star Alliance birth, which I don't think is great news for customers because TAP is very cheap to the US. Mm -hmm. You have to go to Lisbon, which is for some probably out of the way, but they have an interesting play here. Is it a low cost? No, but that's the other thing I wanted to react on. I've seen a lot of people calling it almost a low cost. And I, I disagree with that statement, but it's certain that the prices, guys, just look for the prices are very low, which again, to the point I just made, is not a great maybe news for people like us that if United and Lufthansa take the place of David Neilman in the consortium that owns TAP, probably they will not want to have like a huge competitor on their very cool uh, US to Europe routes and they might increase the prices of TAP. Yeah. Now, the product itself. So London to Lisbon was a 320neo, so that was a very brand new aircraft. Is it low cost? No, but yes, there has some of the things we see nowadays. You know, there's almost no galley. There's like a simple, very thin wall between the first row and the, the very front of the aircraft. They're maximizing the number of seats. Obviously, no IFE, etc. 
But you know what? Very nice, very nice flight. The crew especially was so nice and gentle and kind and lovely. I mean, we know that Portuguese are, are great. Yeah. Man, I mean, it's rare to have that quality of... Yeah. Uh, they're so amenable. It was fantastic. I kind of liked also the, the uniform of, especially on the, on the women. The uniform of the men is a bit more bland. There's a business class-ish. Again, it's, you know, we know in Europe, I'll address this one of these days, why we don't have a proper business class in Europe. But there's no divider between business and economy more to the point of that kind of low-cost feeling. But again, it's no low-cost. They simply ask for passenger and economy not to go to use a lavatory in the front, which is pretty well-respected. So, I, I mean, it, it, it works. There were power sockets. The food was great. It was a breakfast because it was an early flight. Honestly, very, very good experience. I would totally do it again. Much better, and I know they're sometimes, you know, friendly food, much better than Iberia. For me, there's no comparison. I would fly tap over Iberia every day, mm -hmm. very, very easily. I arrive in Lisbon Airport. We'll cover that in one episode. I don't think we've, we've done it. Of course, it's absolutely crazy because it's the day before Web Summit. There's 75,000 people arriving at Lisbon. So the airport is overwhelmed. There's, you know, queue for taxis and Ubers and everything. You have to wait forever. But anyway, it's okay. I, I learned through the cab driver that I had that they're building a new Lisbon Airport, however, I which know. I didn't know. It's apparently opening in four years, and it's on the other side of that very famous bridge. I haven't looked into it, but apparently that's the plan. I stayed a few hours in Lisbon, and then, and that's interesting because I was to fly to the US with the 330neo. So I had two neos. It's a neo set of flights. And uh, I was very interested to try this because a lot of people say it's a, it's a cool product. They have a life flight product. Not that I would need to, to sleep because it was like an afternoon flight, and with a differential of time, I would arrive in the evening. So first, a very quirky experience that I had, and I think I was, oh, yeah, another thing I know, I was texting you. When I was at Heathrow, I was trying to, so first, when I was in London at home, I was trying to check in via their mobile app, couldn't. So I went to the check-in counter at Heathrow, even though I didn't have any luggage with me to check, and uh, they wouldn't allow me to get a boarding pass. That's weird. The computer, you know how it is, everything is uh, automated. The computer would literally say, do not board, visa required. And I was like, I have a visa waiver, you know, the ESTA thing, mm -hmm. you know. And I was showing them the ESTA. Even though I had this, it still wouldn't let me. Mm -hmm. They say, yeah, but we have no. So I argued my way in. I said basically to the person at Ethra, I said, look, right now the first flight is going to Lisbon, which is part of the EU. I don't need any proof of identification besides my ID to go there. Allow me to board this one and I'll deal with whatever happens at the second bit when I actually need to fly to the US. I mean, if they refuse me in Lisbon, I'll just go back. Meaning for me, the experience of entering Lisbon airport that second time after my meetings was like, oh my God, will I be... Well, I was able... That's very quirky. Remember, I told you I was unable to get the boarding pass on my phone for the flight. Yeah. But actually, and I don't know if it's a bug or a feature, when I tried to... When I tried to, the system refused to give me my first boarding pass, but strangely gave me my Lisbon to GFK boarding pass. Of course. So when, so I had actually something on my phone. So my plan was like, I'm going to pretend nothing happened in London and I'm going to keep showing my mobile boarding pass. I went through all the checks with this one and I was able to board. I will never understand why I was not allowed to board at first in London and why all this commotion, but... Again, I don't know if it's a bug or a feature. Maybe I would have gotten into trouble. 
I didn't because obviously I was clear to fly to the US, but there you go. So it's a strange. It is weird. It's a bit stress. It's a bit stressful. You're right. It is stressful. That's the one thing where, you know, you've, there's a third party there with just relying on the data that they have in front of them with which they can't do anything about. So yeah, it is stressful. And you know, I, I just explained you the route I was doing. I was going in New York for 22 hours. I was doing this huge flight to Singapore, landed at 6.40 and at 9 a.m. I was on stage. I'm like, if it fails yeah. in Lisbon, the rest is, that- I don't know what happens. You know, I cannot do all this. It's a... Uh, and I had paid cash for some of this stuff, obviously. And, you know, and if I don't go to a place, maybe the client will never pay me. And so I was like, oh, my God, this is all. Mm. But anyway, it went through. Uh, Lisbon Airport will cover it another time. The tap premium lounge isn't too bad. And then I'm in that 339neo. Excuse me. <coughs> no, it's not the virus. <laughs> so it's staggered seat. The kind of ones we see everywhere, like, you know, reverse herringbone. The only difference is they're very... Tight, as in they are very close to each other. So if I had to be flying, someone like me would probably not like completely the position, but it's really not bad. It's a live flight seat. It's not the best, but it's much better than the Delta I've done in Asia, for instance. Not a lot of storage, but they still give you an amenity kit, which is okay. You know, have uh, the, the basics. It's very colorful. And again, the crew, super nice. This super tall Portuguese guy with a perfect English accent, super well-trained, looks you in the eyes for every interaction. Really, I mean, this is better than Iberia for sure. And this is close to one of the best experiences in a national carrier, if, you, if you'd like. I've never seen that. I mean, SAS could learn one thing or two because they really, they really suck. The one thing that was very uh, funny, I, I don't know when was the last time you've flown, they literally told us five times pre-takeoff that we shouldn't use our MacBook 15-inch computer. So we know there's a series of them that probably have a problem with the battery, but they, it's not once, five times. And like, please do not charge them. Please do not open them. Please. I was like, okay, Jeez. well, <laughs> it's the new uh, Samsung, whatever. And they added the use of power banks is strictly forbidden. They do not allow now you to use them. Yeah. So there you go. Again, great service, great food, super homey and filling, you know, how like Portuguese food can be. Oh, so yeah. very, I was very pleased with that. And maybe at times it felt that, you know, there was no one, the crew wasn't there. But if you went to go to the galley, there was always someone there. They were very nice. So no, honestly, it worked. It's clearly not an ME3, a Cathay, a Singapore or whatever, but it is a nice product. And at the price, it's unbeatable. Man, the price, London to New York in business, uh, okay, admittedly with the layover and adds you some time, single way, was 700 quid. That's incredible. I mean, come on. First of all, for all the four airlines, segments, only one way. Oh, yeah, but still, no, incredible. I mean, first of all, incredible. most of the airlines would punish you for doing another return and 700. I was like, what? And it's a proper business class again. It's not, it's probably not AA or whatever, but I cannot not recommend it. I mean, really nice. So there you go. And I see the TWA hotel right there, and I can almost touch it, almost touch it, but no. One day, man, one day I'll be able to <laughs> go there. And uh, I landed at the JetBlue terminal, so that's T5, right? Yes, very nice terminal too. And apparently TAP interlines with JetBlue, so that is another reason for you guys, if you love JetBlue, to do TAP. So no, honestly, very good one. The rest of the trip, guys, in the next maybe not even the next, in a follow-up episode. So now we're going to go to... Oh, but before, since I just mentioned Breeze, what do you think about Breeze? Hmm. The new... Do you like the it's, logo and the delivery? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, I, I mean... <laughs> it's fine. 
it, it, it is fine. It's one of those things where... The, the uh, Alex word is back, guys. It's fine. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think it's okay. I think if anybody can do this, it's him. So who am I to question somebody with such a pedigree, to be completely honest? The world's nicest airline. The world... Right, you know what? That's what he wants to do, but maybe, you know, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. They're starting uh, probably in a few months. I think with the 185s and the 220s will come next year. So, do you now? How did you go to Maui or to Kakalula? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I have no idea. So, how did you go to Maui? How did you go to Hawaii? First, you had to stop somewhere. I guess there's no direct flight from London. No, to we Hawaii. went London to San Jose. <laughs> and ah. I'm, I'm sure that that flight was full of incident. In fact, I think it almost certainly was. <laughs> probably involving my family in one regard or another. But um, yeah, we, we, we flew to San Jose and stayed nearby at one of the airport hotels because the flight, I think, to, to Maui was about 9 a.m. And we did Hawaiian Airlines because I think they were just the cheapest and they had the best options for out of San Jose. I think that's the 10th busiest route out of Maui is to San Jose. The others are intra-island or to LA and San Francisco. Okay, wow. It was a 321. I see a smirk on your face when you say that, so I'm waiting for the... No, no, I, honestly, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll preface this. The TLDR was, it, it was a very nice flight indeed. I liked it a lot. We had this rather strange configuration where... We were not at the bulkhead, but it, it's one of those things where you're at the emergency exit facing yep. the cabin crew. There's two seats yep. facing, and then there's a third. So that that yep. window seat has got unlimited leg. Huge leg room, yeah. Which yeah, was yeah. perfect for us because we could get out and take our youngest daughter, you know, kids to the bathroom without having to step over. Or do, it just made life much, much easier. A little bit of space to have things spread out. Hawaiian are a full service airline that augment with paid for service as well. So you you got food, you got drinks, and you know Hawaiian snacks and stuff, which were which were really really nice. And then you could buy more food, Japanese, Hawaiian. I mean, if you're familiar with Hawaiian food, it's very heavily influenced by Japan. Uh, so that was really good. And there was Wi-Fi, but not internet. So it was just streaming to your device. Oh, and it was, was a comprehensive okay. library of content, which was really, really good. The crew were very nice and very helpful. When we nice. took off, again, I find this really annoying. And <laughs> I can understand uh, why they didn't do this. But it was a like five and a half hour flight. And nothing from the flight crew until hours and hours into the flight. Although the cabin crew came on after all of the the boarding announcements, the standard boarding announcements saying the captain has said that we're going to have some pretty heavy turbulence for the first hour of the flight because there's a lot of jet stream and that they won't be putting the seatbelt sign off and they won't be able to do any of the service for a while. So if you need to go to the bathroom, do it now before we push back. And they were right. I mean, it was it was choppy with some pretty heavy sway for a good hour. But then as so many U.S. airlines, they don't turn the seatbelt sign off. But people then, after a couple of hours and nature calls, they just ignore it. But the service generally was really, really, you know, it was friendly and in some regards and really disinterested and surly and bored in others. But <laughs> at, at that balance of full service and, and paid for, it was... It was actually kind of what I like, you know. You're not gonna, you're not gonna starve to death like you would on a on a low cost carrier. I would never do a flight of that length on a low cost carrier or uh, or a well, no frills yeah. airline. So having that, like, we're gonna feed you and feed you often and feed you good snacks, nice and, and drinks, and also then being able to buy hot meals as well worked really really well. So I was impressed. 
and of course you you see nothing. There's no land between you from you yeah. know, the west coast of, uh, of the United States and Hawaii. There's nothing, so it's just sea. So you don't see anything until you're at final, which is weird. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. Where it's like you know, of course, when you're flying across the Atlantic, you're constantly flying over yeah. Greenland and, and northern Canada, and then uh, Iceland, and so you're constantly seeing things. And even over the Pacific, you're Alaska, and then northern Russia, and things like. Yeah, that. I agree. I've done myself the other way. I've done Tokyo to Honolulu, so it's a bit similar. Like you, there's nothing in there. Oh, there's an island. Yeah, there's land. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's true. It's <laughs> very, very strange. And so you, then you, you know, you're coming into approach, and there's nothing, and all of a sudden there's you know beautiful islands, and you can see the water and all of that, but. The way that you come in, you kind of fly the standard route, which is apparently, from what I understand, done for noise abatement. Okay. And you fly through this valley, because obviously it's volcanic. All of Hawaii is volcanic, so there's big peaks. And you're flying through this valley, and the turbulence, I have never experienced anything like it in my life. And it's it's not like turbulence at altitude, where... There's no frame of reference and there's no, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is, you're going really slow. The plane yeah. is fully dirty for landing, even the gear down and you are dropping and you're going up because these updrafts are hitting them and you are just all over the place. Like I have never, and for me, it was really fun. Cause <laughs> I was you, about to say you're that. never, you're never unsafe. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know what, to be honest. That time, kind of turbulence is statistically more dangerous more, than more clear dangerous, air turbulence at 38,000 yeah. feet. And there was like audible gasps throughout the cabin, even from the cabin crew who are like, you know, it's often like this, but this is, you know, you're getting a really good demonstration of what we experienced. <laughs> and you're, you know, you're just flopping all over the place. And then you you do this turn and then you know, I think it's almost a 180 and you come back on the other side of this mountain and you and you land. And we were we were bobbing and weaving until the wheels touched the ground. So it was incredible airmanship by the crew to do this because it was windy on that side of the island the whole time we were there. But it was it was a wild ride. My daughter <laughs> hated every sa- I mean she's two. <laughs> so she, all she felt was the drops and the and the, the job. Yeah, yeah. But um, my my eldest son who's 9 thought it was just the greatest thing in the whole wide world cuz he was like <laughs> lifting up in his seat against the seat belt and you know it was you know that was my first time flying into Maui. I would love to hear from anybody if this is kind of a normal thing or if what we experienced was kind of unusual. But it was it was it was it was crazy and then the airport itself is the terminal that you walk into, it, you could be going into Oakland or San Jose, but when you come, oh. it's just like a normal American yeah, terminal, yeah, yeah. except for when you come into to baggage claim, it's all open. It's like a Southeast Asian airport, oh, okay. which is yeah, lovely. Yeah. I love, like you're feeling the breeze and the warmth and all of that, but you deplane, at least for these flights, using a gate into a standard US domestic terminal, you go, you know, and then you come out into this or downstairs into this lovely airy very very busy area yeah i'm looking at pictures when you're talking to understand yeah yeah, yeah. wow the bags took for flipping ever to appear i don't know why it is what it is (laughs) it's not such a big airport in terms of passenger uh i mean i don't know i mean mean, not uh, it can't be gargantuan i think it's probably no actually to be honest with you i don't know Five six million per year. Yeah, that sounds about. It's right. an old statistic. So and it doesn't. It it didn't feel justified in having that delay. But it, you know that is what it is. And yeah, we, yeah, yeah. you know, you have this lovely. And so you know, if you're going to be stuck waiting somewhere, that's kind of the place you want to be, where you feel the the, <laughs> the nice tropical breeze coming in and all of that. 
I had a, a similar memory of parts of Honolulu yeah. airport, which is some of it is like, you know, big buildings and some of it like as you walk outside, which is really nice. So, cool. you know, that part was nice. And yeah. uh, there we rented a car and there's like this little tram that takes you between it's no distance on the way back. We walked it because it was much easier than waiting for this stupid tram. But um, <laughs> yeah. And then um, on the when you come back to check in it's the same thing it's completely open to the elements and you actually have to if you're going to i can't remember if it's because you're leaving hawaii or if you're going back to california because of the strict agricultural restrictions oh, into california yeah, but i think it's also yeah. because of hawaii your bags are screened for anything and then they're tagged before you go and check in and then once you get into the terminal the amenities are and then actually you do you, you do another agriculture check before you get to your gate but oh, it's um wow it's yeah it's it's the boarding areas and the gates themselves are nothing at all to write home about they're very kind of tired american domestic terminal (laughs) but they you know that it's absolutely made up for with these kind of other bits other parts of the experience Uh, how was your flight back was it also as uh bumpy well taking off it was uh uh, because it was just windy was it say also three twenty one? Three twenty one, and oh, yeah. we had a similar seating arrangement as well. Actually, no, we had to just we had, we were lucky because it was reasonably quiet, so we had six across for the five of us, or four and a good four and a bit. Okay, cool. Interestingly, and I never got a chance to figure out that our cruising altitude was twenty six thousand feet, which hmm. is very low. Maybe it was low. Yeah, twenty four thousand feet. I it was about to say it, it just seems low. I don't know why. Maybe that's where the jet streams were. Um, yeah. But looking at historical data, because I'm that much of a nerd, that doesn't seem normal. Um, oh, I see. So who knows? You're coming from the West Coast and you you know, you enter the approach that everybody else is doing coming up from L.A. and to get into San Jose. So, yeah, it was it was fine. It's a, I liked my experience with Hawaiian Airlines. They weren't particularly cheap, but it was a it was a good experience. And I would definitely fly them again because it's that nice balance, like I said, of lower cost, but also not quite full service. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because there was many times where I was hesitating about using them or not. For instance, I said earlier, I was supposed to be in Tokyo next week. And the week after, I was supposed to be in San Francisco. Again, all this is canceled. But going from Tokyo to to San Francisco, one of the options, one of the cheap options, cheaper options, was to use Hawaiian to do a soapover in Honolulu and continue. And I always hesitate. First of all, I like, I'd rather do like a direct. Of course, I'd rather do on a Japanese airline. But it's interesting that you, you say that because I might actually try one day. I mean, guys, if any one of you has done this, like going from Japan to the US or the reverse, using Hawaiian. Can you tell me how it is? And either in economy or premium or whatever. I just, I'm very curious. I would love because to know, yeah. I've always read that, that they are like not a full, like super premium carrier, but they're not a low cost either. Like exactly how you describe it, which unless I had like someone like you telling me, kind of always like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. You know, like, which is why I was just mentioning about TAP earlier. Like when they say it's kind of a low cost, I'm like, is it really? No, yeah. it's not. It's not easy. To, I'm still flying in something that has food. It has nice amenities that, yeah, it's not Singapore or even AA, but it's good. I will be flying that again. So I would, I would try Hawaiian yeah. actually. And how was Hawaii, man? I mean, I've only been to Honolulu and nearby. How was Maui? Was it? Yeah, fun? great. I, we really enjoyed our time there. It's nice. my kind of place where you wake up at three o'clock in the morning because of jet lag, and you walk out onto the balcony. It's still that lovely warm breeze, oh, and I God. love the food. And you know, it's a it's an expensive place to exist for obvious reasons, but it was. I really liked it. I liked it on many, 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 many levels. So we had fun. Oh, and the one thing that we said at the very top of the show we haven't addressed: Why is it called 
Og. Ah, yes. Og. <laughs> That's very strange. <laughs> it is because I was looking. I was looking for the airport, and I was like, "This can't be it." He told me Maui. So first is Kalu. Again, I'm not going to even try to pronounce that. And then I was like, "Og, tell me." So they have this because I didn't know. But in the terminal, in the boarding areas, they have this huge mural to this person, Bertram J. Jimmy Hogg, H-O-G-G, who was oh. a native of Hawaii, okay. of the Hawaiian Islands, and an aviation pioneer. So he worked for what is now Hawaiian. Oh, and he flew go. like the Sikorsky, then the DC-3, and then the DC-9 all the way through into the 60s. So he was he was really a Hawaiian aviation pioneer. So that's, that's I think, a very appropriate... Because the, the airport is named... It doesn't have like a, you know, an official name other than what it is, but it's rather a nice uh, it uh, is. homage to someone who really was quite literally a pioneer for Hawaiian aviation. Oh, okay. Well, well there you go. Mystery well, How cool is that Mystery. to have an IATA code named after you? Not just an exactly. airport. Exactly. Airports are transient things. They come and go, but that but will that transfer. Really that will be cool. there forever. That is amazing. I love this. Yeah. Also meaning that the airport is not that old then, because if the guy was, you said, flying until the 60s, it cannot be that old that the Yayata code is dated back. They didn't probably change 19, it just for 1952. That. Okay, cool. Well, there you go. Well, I need to go to Maui, man. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, 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 I want to go back mm. to Hawaii and explore more of it. I just, it's something, um, that atmosphere, I know you can find it in other parts of the world, but it's definitely uh, an environment in which I can be very happy. And look, these days we need to be on an island to hide from the virus oh, anyway. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Especially because the weather in London has been the crappiest weather for a long time. Oh We've been having rain nonstop for the past, what, two weeks? My plants outside love it, but me, I'm like, no. I mean, it makes it easier to isolate and social distance because then exactly. I don't want to go out, actually. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to ask you about your next flights. And man, I really hope they happen because my forecast is... Everything is cancelled, uh, and I want to keep uh, the surprise, the surprise for <laughs> the next shows. I also want to say to you guys, because I know a lot of people have reached out, can I be a guest, can I be a co-host? I might still do some of the co-hosts, when, for instance, when Alex is traveling, to keep the pace of having every two weeks-ish. I might sometimes invite some of you guys, whilst Alex is away doing his thing or exploring other islands of the Pacific, uh, invite some of you. So there will be like a bit of revolving. So keep asking us and we'll have also a few guests. Actually, we planned one next month. So there you go. I think for me, again, I have no plans to travel until the recording of the next episode. And you guys and Alex will make me jealous because of your pictures of you <laughs> traveling. I'm just going to stay home you this year. Vicariously through us. You know what? I'm probably going to lose all my status this year by if I continue happening. Well, this, at least so. you won't die well, of this particular <laughs> ailment. <laughs> so uh, from coronavirus land, safe travels, everyone. Yeah, and safe happy travels, travels Alex. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs>